This Slate spoiler special is meant to be played after you see the movie being discussed. The podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on What's Your Number, the new Anna Faris romantic comedy. And here in the Slate studios with me and at the movie with me last night was Jessica Gross, Slate's senior editor. Hi, Dana. Thanks for letting me do this. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to be doing it with you. I'm just sorry that we had to see such an abysmal movie. Okay. Well, let's let's start off with our reactions and our hopes and how it measured up, and then we'll do a very quick plot summary, and then we'll get to spoiling. Sounds great. I had been highly anticipating this movie since Tad Friend's profile on Ferris came out. Um, I guess it was probably March of this year in The New Yorker. I've always liked her performances. I liked her in The House Bunny. I find her very funny. And so I was quite crestfallen to find that this movie was really not good. Didn't you think the Ted Friend profile already kind of pointed at that? I mean, essentially, his his angle was sort of, you know, here's this funny, talented, pretty woman. What is Hollywood going to do with her? Does she have any hope? And it seemed like there was a a double-edged sword kind of feeling to the piece that, no, maybe she doesn't, you know, in spite of her gifts, have any hope to escape the bad romantic comedy trap. So I actually had low expectations for this. But boy, I mean, even those low expectations were not met. What an abysmal movie. I thought that I I find Anna Faris most successful when she is allowed to be fully raunchy and and or fully goofy. And this movie seemed to be trying to slot her into a stereotypical, boring, romantic comedy role with just flashes of that raunchiness and goofiness. And those flashes were great and funny and you really – it, the most heartbreaking part was you saw what the potential that this movie had and could have been. Um, and what was your feeling about her performance? And your you, you had lower expectations going in, but what did you think? I totally about her? agree with you on her. I want to get to her in a minute, though. Let's let's set up the movie so that we okay. can get into specifics. Um, but but basically, yeah, you just you just summarized it for me. I'll, I'll get into Anna Faris more in a sec. Um, so so this movie is the story of her character named Allie Darling, which, by the way, is there a more overdetermined romantic comedy name? Uh, Actually, maybe her sister, her name. sister Daisy Darling, <laughs> and Allie and Daisy Darling. They, they might as well be named Buttercup, Sprinkles, Unicorn. Unicorn Rainbow. <laughs> so Allie is a single girl. She's probably supposed to be around 30, maybe late 20s or early 30s. Yeah. She works in marketing, but she loses her job. She gets laid off at the very beginning of the movie, which uh, given the fact that she seems to come from a family that's very well off, doesn't seem to put much of a crimp in her lifestyle because then depressed that she's been laid off from her marketing job and doesn't have a boyfriend and keeps losing one boyfriend after another. We actually see her lose a boyfriend, too, at the beginning. She decides, oh, wait, oh, yeah, we got to get to the article. She reads an article in a women's magazine on the train that asks, what's your number? That's the title of the article. And posits that women who sleep with more than 20 guys will never find a husband. Right. And so, curiously, because she seems to be this very independent person, suddenly she is obsessed with this number, and is she a slut, and should she stop sleeping with new guys until she finds the right guy? She floats this to her sister and the other bridesmaids at a girl's night out, and then promptly gets drunk at that girl's night out and sleeps with her boss, played by Joel McHale, the guy who just fired her that very same day, Right. thereby going over her number and then has this crisis and decides, I can't go over the number 20 now that I've reached it. I have to find the love of my life and my husband in the previous 20 guys that I've slept with. And so she starts to exhaustively go through and try to track down those guys. Do we have anything to add to that? No, that sounds about right. I mean, I think the fact that her sister is getting married really drives at her anxiety about the number of men she's had sex with home because her sister is also getting married to her high school sweetheart. So she's like, it worked for my sister, my perfect sister. Will it work for me? 
Right. Oh, and we forgot to mention that her neighbor, her across-the-hall apartment neighbor, played by Chris Evans, um, who's kind of a, a man whore himself and is shown kicking women out of his, his house day after day, um, decides to help her with this tracking down. Because for some reason, although she seems to be a smart person, she can't manage to Google and Facebook her way into finding out who these 20 guys are. So she has to conscript this this neighbor to help her. Yeah, that was actually one of the few parts that I laughed at was when she passes out on her keyboard trying to make Facebook work. That, which, although it was, it's why would this, you know, woman who is in her late 20s, or early 30s, not really know how to use Facebook. But yeah, I'm actually kind of baffled by Facebook myself. But I think if I were sufficiently motivated, I would make myself figure it out. And it doesn't really go with the character that she's most of the time painted to be with just this pretty capable and with it person. Oh, and then the one last detail I feel is necessary to add about the plot is that her true passion in life is not marketing. It is making strange clay figures in subway urban scenes. Yeah, these kind of figures that remind me a little bit of that, um, what's his name, that Julius Catcher comics, you know? They're yes. sort of like like little urban, like sad down and out scenes in, in clay figurines. Right. Because of course she has to have a creative pursuit, right, to con- contrast with her boring marketing job that she doesn't really want. Although it's weird because the clay figurines never really turn into anything. There's not some moment where she's picked up by a clay figurine chain or anything like that. <laughs> right. And they also, I, I know in the, in the movie you're supposed to think that this is good and that they're that they're well done and that this is her passion but I turned to a friend who was seeing it with us and I said this looks like outsider art like this was not these figurines were not they weren't good so that part of the plot certainly didn't work for me but Dana your feelings about Anna Ferris as a person and in, and in this role okay all right so now we have to get to that I guess what I wanted to say about her it, it seemed like when we were walking out your impression was hmm did we overrate Anna Ferris I mean I think everybody a lot of people a lot of comedy fans and a lot of people who are out there with aspirations for for women in comedy mm-hmm. have high hopes in in Anna Ferris because she's a genuine comedian. I mean, she's not she's not a lot of things. She's not the, a prop, you know, Catherine Hagel sort of like pretty girl who stands in the place of the romantic comedy. And she's also not that sort of Sandra Bullock type who is a legitimate comedian but mm-hmm. has a very, I would say, kind of prescribed feminine role. I mean, she's she's just as you say, maybe goofier and raunchier than that and maybe willing to go further in her comedy, maybe like in the in the Kristen Wiig my Rudolph SNL category. Mm-hmm. And I still did see that in this movie. And the few moments, the few seconds that made me laugh in this movie all had to do with moments of excess in her performance that didn't really fit in the movie. You know, right. that, that if you were actually a person trying to polish and market this script and, and make it into something that belonged on mall screens across America, you'd say, we have to take that out. It's too weird. And the, the primary one, I think, would be how far the accent joke went and what she did with the accent joke. So one of the men that she tracks down from her past is this this British guy played by Martin Freeman from the, the British office, who I love, too. And she runs into him on the street. And uh, while she's walking with Chris Evans, and then she suddenly bursts into this terrible British accent, and we realize that the entire time she was with this boyfriend, she pretended to be British. Right. And uh, and then it just turns into this ridiculous scene where he takes her out, and the more drunk she gets, the worse the accent gets, and she kind of turns into Eliza Doolittle, bad and Cockney, Borat. and then Borat. And I just thought that scene was really funny, not because of the writing, but just because of her commitment to the ridiculous conceit. I completely agree. It really sold it. And the other, the moment that actually stood out for me was because was the combination of writing and delivery. And I know, especially in my recounting of this moment, it may turn a lot of listeners off, but it was towards the end of the movie. She, and this is a big spoiler, um, she has found 
this sort of unicorn ex-boyfriend. He's wealthy. She feels like he's the one who got away. He's really polished and Kennedy-esque because this movie takes place in Boston. So that's, I guess, one nod to the Bostonian nature of this movie. And she's, she acts really polished so that he'll like her, basically. And so... It's a scene. It's at her sister's wedding. And oh, I know what you're going to say. This was funny. This was <laughs> and funny. he says something to her about maybe you'll be the last person. I Maybe I'll be the last person you sleep with. And she goes, why? Is it because you're going to rape and murder me? <laughs> and it, and was, it was like a glimpse into this darkness that doesn't exist anywhere it, else in the movie. Exactly. And if they had just gone for that darkness, she would. I really feel like Anna Ferris would have sold it and it would have been a much more interesting, enjoyable movie instead of... It could have been like the observe and report of romantic comedy or exactly, something like that. Exactly. So I, I felt like it was a shame that we didn't see more of that from her and from the script, which felt like it had been... I could just picture the meetings with the studio heads where that script had the darkness sucked out of it and the interesting, weird things just paved over. It felt like it was just a mishmash, and I, I wished that I could see an original version. That's because part I have of why few- this movie felt not just irritating. Like, when you see just a dumb romantic comedy with someone dumb in it, then you're just irritated. Like, why does this crappy thing exist, right? right? But this felt more kind of tragic and melancholic. It was just more like you could see all the moments that sacrifices and bad decisions and compromises had been made along the way. Absolutely. And you wanted to just go in and retroactively script Doctor and make those things not happen. Like, And sometimes the movie itself almost seemed to be grasping for that and then just not dare to let itself do it. Like, for example, at the end, the way she finally gets back together with Chris Evans. Of course, there has to be a moment where she's racing across town trying to find him, right? right. So at the sister's wedding, she dumps the Kennedy-esque guy and uh, and grabs a list from the wedding planner. For some reason, he walks around with a clipboard with a list of every wedding going on in town. And she knows that Chris Evans, who's a musician, is going to be playing at a wedding that day. Actually, she doesn't know he's going to be playing. She just knows he's going to be at one. As it turns out, he's his band. And that's another ridiculous thing is that we never buy he's in a band. But anyway, his band is now playing this wedding. And she goes screeching through every wedding in Boston looking for him still in her bridesmaid's dress. And then there's this moment when she's climbing a fence trying to get to the wedding that he's at and it's this whole slapstick moment where she goes, this is bullshit. Why don't I just wait for him at home? Which is what I had been thinking the whole time. She lives across the hall from him. So if she has a sudden revelation, she could have just gone home. And I actually think that would have been a really funny moment to have her go on the chase, like a moment of kind of, you know, a a twist on the the chasing the guy down where she just stops and says, this is bullshit. And then she does go home. And the next time you see her, she's in sweats (laughs) at her house waiting to tell him. Right. But I feel like that's it's been a romantic comedy trope all year. In Crazy Stupid Love, Steve Carell makes explicit reference to the fact that he's in a romantic comedy, like he's outside, something bad has just happened, and it starts pouring. And he goes, God, this is such a cliche. And there's another movie this year that did the same thing, and I feel like it's a bit on the nose. I wish if you're going to actually go for the cliche, it just makes it worse when you're acknowledging that right? it's a cliche. It's, you're right. If she had just actually gone home, it would have, the joke would have worked. But it's like, I'm going to go forward this, with this ridiculous romantic comedy cliche, but also acknowledge it. Right. Not to mention, I mean, this is just one of those, um, you know, it's, it's a movie and you should let it be a movie. But when she bursts on stage and basically ruins Chris Evans' gig, I mean, the impression that we've gotten from the sketch of his career in the movie is that he's only now just daring to get up on stage before people. So he's playing this wedding, right? I mean, she's basically fucking up his job, right? <laughs> She jumps up on stage in her bridesmaid's gown, shoves the guitarist or somebody away from the mic, starts playing tambourine badly. Then she says, "Bring, stop it, bring it to a halt, and takes him off stage. And to me, it was sort of like, gee, who would want someone for your girlfriend who messes up your work like that? Right. That is the romantic relationship at the center of this movie. But let's talk a little about the sexual politics of this movie, which we both found 
bizarre and troubling and very think, bizarre and not even explicable. I mean, no. not, it's, it's not even sort of understandable stereotypes. <laughs> exactly. So she reads, as you said, she reads this women's magazine article saying that if you have sex with more than 20 people, no one will ever want to marry you. And so then with the bridesmaids, with her sister's bridesmaids, they go around and they sort of say how many at, – they're at a bar, they're getting drunk – how many people each one of them has slept with. And apparently under 10 seems okay in the context of the sexual politics of this movie. But anything over 10 and you are a whore. And it's just like why? The whole thing was so arbitrary and ridiculous and felt – Weird and dated. I was just like, what, what are you even talking but movie, about? But the movie would be dated in very 50s when it wanted to drive that plot home, right? right? I mean, when it needed that for, for story convenience, then it, you're a slut if you've slept with more than 10 guys, right? And she's at 20. But then at other moments, this movie really wanted to get away with the raunchiest possible, right? I mean, in the sort of going style of romantic comedies, it also wanted to be as raunchy as possible. Exactly. And imagine this very permissive world so that when she gets a phone message from one of these exes, he describes like, oh, you gave me a shitty hand job and then you vomited in my suitcase and, you know, this kind of a horrible, <laughs> sordid sounding funny. night. Yeah, that actually was a pretty good message. That was at the very end of the movie, though. But so, so there's both these glimpses into this sordid past and then also this kind of presumption of almost virginity, like when she's dancing with the Kennedy guy at Jake the wedding. Adams, yeah. Right. Right before she dumps him, there's a moment that that he says she, she confesses you weren't we weren't my first right because she lost her virginity to this guy back in high school and then he says oh so you slept with two guys so no big deal like he actually thinks that in the 15 years since they graduated from high school she hasn't slept with any other guys it's so it's so absurd and weird and it doesn't it seemed to take place in this sexual moral universe of its own that was I kept waiting for that to be blown open I kept actually waiting for her to meet another woman who would question the absurdity of the magazine piece well there was one woman one of the bridesmaids who who is also in Friends with Benefits, which is a sh- oh, not Friends with Benefits, Happy Endings, which is a TV show that is in its second season. She's very funny, and I can't remember her name. But she slept. Oh, with- the one who plays the other minorly slutty. Person yes, she in the slept with thirteen people, and she's like, "What? I slept with thirteen people." And she doesn't let any of the other sort of more uptight bridesmaids shame her into thinking there's anything wrong with that. But she's sort of just out there on her own. Yeah, yeah, she's just a person who shows up in one scene. I mean, yeah. there's, there's not any moment when the movie rejects or embraces really this this 20 number the 20 number is just out there like this story axiom that we have to believe in in order for the story to make sense and chris evans for example if he really cared about this girl he was meeting and was helping launch this ridiculous quest to, to dig up the 20 guys would sit her down at some point and just say this is complete bullshit what he does say that to her lately but it's sort of just ignored he's like he doesn't care he doesn't try and slut shame her because of the guys she slept with he's like you know, this is crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. But he just ends up going along with it anyway. At a more fundamental level, how can we like or care about a character who believes in something as ridiculous as the as the number 20 anyway? I mean, it's really to Anna Faris's credit that she sold this character at all yeah. based based on that alone. And I think I'm, I need to mention right now that in France, this movie is called Sex List. Oh, yeah. I love this. I, heard, I thought you said sex less when you first told me that, but it's sex least. Sex Le sex least. <laughs> um, so now that we've just spent the past 10 minutes or so saying everything that we don't like about this movie or, or the problems what did what did you like about this movie outside of those few moments that you know she she sold a joke or a bit or, or the accent let me think i mean there were some good small parts i mean everybody was pretty good in their in their parts actually mm-hmm. they were just so, it was such a disservice that the script did to them all but ari grainer as her sister is not bad she's a total straight woman there's not a lot that she gets to do but she's pretty good and then some of the exes in in bit parts are are kind of i don't know if you'd say funny exactly <laughs> because they don't have any funny lines to say 
And some of the exes, they had tiny little bit parts, but they were pretty good in them. The trailer makes it look like Andy Samberg is going to show up, right? That he's going to show up in the present day. In fact, we only see him in teenager drag playing his, his teenage self he, as the guy who actually did take her virginity. Exactly. And I, will, I really wanted to see him come back as a puppeteer in his you know 20s or 30s because it seemed really funny from the trailer. But the geniuses at whoever was cutting this movie decided that they didn't want to yeah, make it. Yeah, that into ended the... up on the on the cutting room floor. Exactly. Actually, I thought that Chris Pratt, who's who's Anna Faris's husband in real life, was kind of funny in his small role as one of her exes. I I, I kind of like the gag of the idea that she kept accidentally showing up in his life and uh, wandering into his house by mistake, thinking it was an open house, and then showing up at his wedding by mistake at the end when she's looking for Chris Evans. I and like that she's too. this person he can't shake. And I liked. I actually like Chris Evans. I, this is I think the first movie I've ever seen him in because I didn't see Captain America and I haven't seen any of his sort the of Fantastic Four, fest, whatever his you know superhero things were and I thought he was really charming I thought he was understated he didn't try too hard I thought the character was ridiculous because he looked more like a post frat boy than a musician it's like note to costumers out of work musicians don't wear cargo shorts they just don't it just was so it, it was so unbelievable that this yeah guy his would... character I mean just kind of socioeconomically this movie made no sense we had no idea like what their class affiliation was or how they made their living right and and so it, that also made it really hard to be sympathetic, especially when it tried to borrow that recession angle of boo-hoo, I've lost my job. Oh, but I think I'll fly to Miami to track down an old boyfriend. Right. That, it just was, yeah, the sense-making didn't all come together. So, yeah, charming performances, I guess, but, you know, especially Anna Ferris, but people that were really underserved by their script and just really something so misbegotten. I just, I feel bad that probably anybody creative who hoped something good from this movie that was making it is sitting around just face-palming right now because they just know that it didn't come together. The one thing I will say in retrospect that it makes me think that Bad Teacher was an even better movie because it did allow Cameron Diaz to go full raunch and full jerk and... Even though that movie had a lot of problems and it didn't quite come off, I commend it for being willing to go there in a way that this movie was not for a female lead. If Anna Faris had been the bad teacher, you know, I think maybe maybe more could have happened with that movie. My, re- my recollection is she wanted that part. Is oh really? Right? Yeah, that's my. Rec- I remember. Was that in the Ted in the Ted? I feel piece? like it was. I think she really, really wanted that part, and I think she would have been great in it. Um, so yeah, we're still rooting for Anna Faris to find. That great role that serves her well. I just hope that she's smart enough to to, to not go the Natalie Portman route. I, I think she is, right? Can she? I don't think that's a possibility. Well, I guess. Well, oh, yeah. Now Natalie Portman's this respected actress who gets yeah. Oscars. But I'm talking about the romantic comedy eyelash batting Natalie Portman. Yeah. I just I think she wants to have this sort of screwball over the top career. So I would be surprised if she made those sorts of choices going forward because it would really play against her strengths. Yeah. All right, this is a cry to any screenwriters that are listening out there. Write a vehicle for Anna Ferris, or yes. just get her as a regular on SNL. That would be enough for me. She is hosting in October, so we will all watch that with great excitement. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, well, Jessica, thanks for coming in. Please come back in and spoil another movie. This is your first time doing yes, one, Yes, right? and it was so fun. Thanks so much, Dana. Our producer is Chris Wade. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 